It's the Jeremiah Show. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. My special guest today is executive chef at Finch and Fork at the Kempton Canary Hotel in Santa Barbara, California, Chef Nathan Lingle. Uh, welcome, Chef. Hey, thank you. Thanks you got me. a day off and you're doing a radio show. You're, you're, uh, you're working too hard. Get outside. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. It's a great, great place to be. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. And I really, I love your restaurant. Uh, just Finch and Fork is just beautiful. I said it before. I've had, uh, I spent some, a couple times down there at the bar and it's just a beautiful spot. I definitely recommend everybody get down there if you can. But so let's talk about your background. I, I was reading your bio and I thought this is so interesting um, because Maine has been on my mind lately. And, and, uh, and I've had questions about Maine and the agriculture and the farming um and you grew up in maine so uh, like you're a gift to me right now i get to get my questions answered <laughs> i didn't know who to turn to and ask uh, and and this is where it came up i watched that show um the lost kitchen uh and it's uh the lost kitchen is aaron french chef aaron french that owns the lost kitchen and it's in i believe freedom maine and what I love about the show the most is that she goes out into the community into you know to the farms. She visits the farms and and uh, you know for her menu she sources local ingredients around Maine from various farmers. And and so here's the question: I I thought, wow, I didn't. I always thought of Maine as you know uh, the sea and like a, like fishermen and seafood, but I never realized. I've never been to Maine, but I've never realized that there were so many farms and so much great agriculture there. Um, so if you could, chef, I'd like you to describe your Maine as a chef and, and tell us about, you know, what makes it so special specifically as a chef um, with the ingredients that you have available to you there. And then maybe some of your favorite farmers that you've worked with when you were in Maine. Yeah, I spent a lot of my uh, my time um, living in Maine and growing up in Maine uh, prior to college. Um, so I did have an opportunity to work uh, professionally in Maine, opening the Cliff House uh, Hotel in Algonquin, which was a, a really cool opportunity for me to kind of reconnect um, with my youth there. Um, but, you know, Maine is, it, Maine is pretty interesting. The area that I grew up in was called Camden Rockport. Um, you know, it's, it's known as vacation land. That's what it says on the license plate. And I think when you, um, you know, I know us growing up there, uh, we had a lot of people in our families and friends that would always come and visit us there, like during the summer and, and hold up for a few weeks or, or months even, and, and just live on the coast and enjoy it. Um, Camden Rockport was a really cool area. Because uh, there's a lot of uh, focus, obviously, like on sailing and things like that. Um, but also, there's a huge lake there that's called uh, McGonagall Lake and a mountainous region. So you really end up with kind of like the best of both worlds, very similar to how Santa Barbara is, where you have, mm -hmm. you know, access to lakes and streams and really great hikes and mountains um, and then the ocean. 
Um, and that's for me where I feel like there's really a great connection, but you also see that like a lot in the biodiversity of like what's growing and what's out there to, from like natural, uh, forged ingredients. So for me growing up, uh, in Camden Rockport, you know, we would go to the ocean, you know, obviously during the summer, spring and fall pretty frequently, um, you know, lifting up all the seaweed that's on the rocks there. Uh, and getting, you know, fresh seaweed, getting little crabs, getting sea urchins, um, you know, getting into the tide pools and, and getting limpids. Um, our family did a lot of, uh, digging of clams. Uh, you know, one of my sister's good friends was, uh, her, her family owned, um, a duck trap, which is, um, a smokehouse that they smoke a lot of main seafood and like the little base scallops. They do this really awesome, um, vanilla brined bay scallop that's then just like lightly smoked and it's just super delicious. Uh, a lot of rope cultured mussels, um, things like that. So just like the bounty along, along the, um, the coast there is awesome. You know, probably one of the stories that our family kind of tells, quite a bit. And I, you know, I should have, I should have grabbed it out so that I had it. But one of my best friends growing up, his father was an orthopedic surgeon. And, um, my uncle was uh, a chef in, in New Haven, Connecticut, had a, had a lot of seafood restaurants and Italian restaurants there. And one day Bob calls my mom and is like, Joan, one of the fishermen, uh, had crushed his, had crushed his arm kind of in the trap, in the, in the, pulley that pulls the trap up, um, the traps up, uh, you know, a, num a number of months ago and Bob, um, just spent hours and hours kind of like reconstructing and, and resetting, resetting his arm there. Um, and like two months later, uh, the gentleman came and was like, Hey Bob, I left you a, uh, a surprise in your van. And you have to think of like Maine as a place where, you know, you left your keys in the ignition. You didn't have a key for your front door, like that kind of, that kind of place. So for somebody to leave something in your car, you know, it was, it wasn't uh, maybe as creepy as that sounds now. Um, so he goes out there and there's this 13 pound lobster in this crate and he calls up my mom and he's like, how am I going to cook this thing? What are we going to do? Like the whole family needs to come over for dinner. So we go over there and my mom like cooks it up in this huge, uh, metal box that we keep like all of our firewood in on their, on their fireplace. Um, and we end up picking out like all of the crap, all of the lobster meat out of the crusher ball. And I, like I said, I wish I had it. I have it actually in storage, but I can still put my hand inside it. That's how big, uh, the lobster, the lobster, um, yeah. That's a scary lobster to come across. <laughs> if you're yeah, dead, I think so, right? especially uh, especially in the evening, opening up your van. So <laughs> I think it was a good. I think it was good that he definitely like got uh, gave him the heads up on that. Um, but yeah, then you know, outside of outside of the stuff at the coast, you know, definitely, um, you know, for us, we grew up with a, in a culture of going down to the docks and getting lobsters and fish and um, haddock and mackerel and stuff like that that's just kind of what the seafood market was there wasn't you know there was like the big grocery stores but my mom would drive you know two or two two and a half hours down to portland um you know like once a month to go to shaw's so a lot of it really was hey what's at the the little local you know french and brawn butcher shop 
um, having that connection with like the butchers and getting those, the kind of cuts that you wanted for your family. Um, my, my brother's really good friend. Uh, so my sister's really good friend was the, at the smokehouse. My brother's really good friend. They had a, a huge lamb farm kind of up in the mountains, um, the Wiccanins. So, you know, again, we would, we would always have, my mom was a big knitter. So we had a lot of wool from there. And then we ate quite a bit of lamb meat. You know, I was, I didn't realize until I went off to culinary school that, you know, most families didn't eat lamb burgers. <laughs> that was just something that like we did. Um, yeah. So, so it was pretty, you know, a, a lot of different stuff and you, and you see a lot of people that have multiple kind of careers or jobs. Um, you know, the, the kid that lived across the street from us, it was our good friend, you know, his dad, um, his dad was a schooner captain. Mm. So in the summertime, he was running schooner tours and, and doing those kind of things. And then in the winter, um, you know, he actually worked at the ski mountain, you know, running, running lifts and, uh, running snow cats and stuff like that. So you see a lot of that where, you know, people are like boat builders and things like that. And in the summertime when the, when the weather's good and then in the winter, you know, they're, they're handymans or, or building cabinets and doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know what they have, you know, and when you, when you look at the biodiversity, I'm sorry, when you look at the biodiversity, you know, going up by Lake McGonagook, that's where we would like find, you know, ramps and, uh, uh, fiddlehead ferns in the spring, morel mushrooms, black trumpets, chanterelles, you know, in the fall, uh, lobster mushrooms and things like that, just because you were getting, you know, similar to the central coast where you get that morning mist, um, which is really cool. Yeah. I know, I know that, you know, reading your bio that you, you know, you, you, you got um, your family grew vegetables. You had a garden. You do now as well in, in, in Ventura where you live. Yep. Um, that you yeah. foraged quite a bit, like you're mentioning here. Did Maine, you know, the state of Maine, inspire you in any way to to go into the profession you've chosen, professional as a professional chef? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, between having my my uncle who owned restaurants and was always you know, visiting, um, and really cooking up some really great meals. Um, you know, my mom was a great cook. My grandmothers were, were great cooks. Um, and that was something that was just kind of part of, you know, part of our day to day is sitting down at dinner, having a good meal. Um, you know, my mom was always making stuff that was, was really fresh. And, um, you know, I don't know if that was just kind of like a product of the situation because of access to stuff in the areas that we left, we lived in Maine, or if it was, you know, um, the, you know, the availability of the ingredients and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I ended up, uh, I ended up working in a small Italian restaurant, um, following my brother. My brother is also a chef. He's the corporate chef for a company called Coleman hotels, um, out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, so yeah, him and I both worked at the same small little Italian restaurant with a few of our buddies from high school. Um, and then he went off to, uh, culinary school and I, I went to visit him there and was just like, oh, wow, this is, this is the real deal. You know, <laughs> like, look at the, look at the structure and like, look at the the opportunities to, you know, utilize different equipment and different ingredients. And, um, yeah, really was just really excited about that opportunity. Was there a moment when in your life, either growing up or at a meal or, you know, at a family dinner around the table. Was there one moment that you can recall that where you said, Hey, 
I want to be a chef. I want to create this experience for other guests, for, for, for more people. I, I want to really learn this craft and, and how to treat food, how to source food, um, and, and how to put food together in wonderful ways. Was there a moment that you can recall? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, when I kind of transitioned from washing dishes in the restaurant to um, having having my first opportunities to cook on the line and create dishes, um, you know, right around that time was when I really started to to understand, you know, how, how to manipulate ingredients um, and create the desired result. But then being able to do that, you know, time and time again, that's when I really realized, you know, that there was that kind of finesse that, that needed to be understood, mm-hmm. um, you know, cooking one, one or two good things, um, you know, like at home or, or seeing my mom do that and the results coming out the way that they came out was great. But then in like the restaurant setting, being there and, and having to, um, you know, produce the same, the same dish every time. So that people are able to understand that consistency, I think was, um, you know, a key moment for me. And then that following, or it would have been that, that year, um, around the holiday times, my uncle Luigi, he would come after service, uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas day. Um, and we would all get together at their house and he would cook, uh, the feast of fish, and it would like we would sit down at maybe uh, eleven o'clock at night, and he would just start cranking stuff out. I mean, it would be like pasta course after pasta course after, um, you know, he would do like fried calamari. He would do, uh, you know, scallops. He would do uh, escargot. I mean, just like course after course after course. And um, you know, I think that that both working in the kitchen professionally on the line and understanding how to finesse the products and, and how to produce that consistency. And then just seeing him, you know, at 1130 at night after probably just getting crushed all week, um, you know, and come home and just like put on this feast for his family. Uh, and, and, and the signature dish was, um, it was pretty awesome. He would do this huge, it was, you know, it was probably like a four or five pound lobster, but he would do this like crab stuffing. Um, and he would like stuff the whole tail and then bake it. Um, so that would be like the last course. And then obviously like a bunch of, of desserts and coffees and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, those were the kind of that moment where at that time, my brother had, uh, had already kind of entered into culinary school too. So I had had an opportunity to, you know, to go up to the CIA and see that program there too. So I think just like all those, all those things together. Um, were kind of that turning point for me. I'm really a fan of the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. Most of my favorite chefs and the best meals that I've ever had have come from chefs that went through the program, uh, especially on the East Coast there, that the Culinary Institute mm-hmm. of America and on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, we've we got to take a break, but I was, I wanted to ask you, what was the, as a young chef, what was the most important lesson you learned as a cook at the at the culinary institute of america yeah you know i think the biggest the biggest difference was um just understanding the way that like the brigade system was um and 
you know, how cleanliness. I don't know what a brigade system is. Yeah. So the brigade system would be kind of like the military system of, um, everybody kind of has like a rank in the kitchen. So you have like the chef and then you'd have the executive sous chef and then the sous chefs and then, uh, you know, the chef de parties and then the commis and then the stages and, um, you know, just, just understanding like how that hierarchy worked, um, you know, was something that, uh, was kind of one of the foundational things and, and really that whole, um, you know, that whole teaching or, or that process was really developed by Escoffier, um, and kind of like documented by that. And a lot of the foundation of, um, you know, the education at the CIA was really focused around that because even though people were doing really good cuisine and had really high-end kitchens and stuff prior to Escoffier, he was really the first person that really like documented the importance of like, Hey, having consistent recipes and understanding, you know, being able to do techniques and how manipulating techniques a little bit could create like a whole different program, but also having that hierarchy and that structure of, Hey, having the butcher kitchen and the garbage kitchen and the hot kitchen and the pastry kitchen and, and all of those things. And, you know, a lot of that came out of, um, you know, you know, the need for, for good sanitation probably during those times. Um, and that just obviously carried over, but became kind of part of the standardization of a, a lot of, how operations larger operations worked mm-hmm. um yeah it's really something to see a kitchen under that structure that really operates well i mean when everyone has a position and a and responsibility and it all just comes together in this this wonderful you know or it's almost yeah, sure. a dance or an orchestra together you know just it comes together and works really well we're talking with executive chef nathan lingle today uh, he is executive chef at Finch and Fork at the Kempton Canary Hotel in downtown Santa Barbara. Finch and Fork will host a spectacular four-course Wild About You Valentine's Day in their recently redesigned space by the L.A. design team. Uh, and I've got their – now I forget their name. What is the name, Chef? I've got it here somewhere. I got it. I got it. I got it here, too. I got it too. Sorry, Bellico. Bellico. How could I forget that? Bellico. Yeah, the design yeah, sorry about that. by Christian Schneider. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the dining room and the redesign in a, when we come back from the break. But first, you know, it's time to make your Valentine's Day uh, reservations. Do it at Finch and Fork at the Canary Hotel. Executive Chef Nathan Lingle's menu will feature four courses and a moose bouche and a fond farewell. I got to find out what that is. Finch and Fork wine <laughs> program showcases the best of the Central Coast with a selection of over 100 wines and local beer, along with a great cocktail menu to complement the dishes. Again, it's the Wild About You Valentine's Day dinner menu at Finch and Fork at the Canary Hotel, 31 West Carrillo Street, Santa Barbara, California. You can go to finchandforkrestaurant.com. Make your reservations at 805-884. Zero three hundred. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi, it's Suzanne Gowen from L.A. Restaurants, Luke, AOC, and Tavern, as well as the Hollywood Bowl. And you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. I hope you'll check out our event, L.A. Loves Alex's Lemonade, and join the cause. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny it's got heart and my shoulder appears in episode three welcome los angeles the jeremiah show is now on radio candy radio discover a world of emotions your digital radio the jeremiah show airs 10 p.m monday wednesdays and fridays radiocandyradio.com Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. Today we're uh, joined by an executive chef down at Finch and Fork at the Kempton Canary Hotel, Chef Nathan Lingle. Welcome back, Chef. So hey, thank you. We've we've gone to culinary school now together. We, I've 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 got a little taste of your main. Um, you're making me hungry. Oh, we, oh, I don't know why we do these shows. Lunch. <laughs> I, yeah, right. Exactly. You can hear my stomach growling in the microphone. I hope. I mean, I hope you can, but I, I can hear it growling. Um, so, okay. So, what did you take away? You know, I know you've you've worked on some really great properties all over the world. Chef Eric Rapport at the Ten Arts Bistro and Lounge, Ritz Carlton, and I believe it's Philadelphia, right? What did you take away from that? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so um, being part of that property was, uh, um, I had spent 10 years down at the resorts of Naples, um, at the Ritz-Carlton's there. Um, So, you know, Philadelphia was my first executive chef job. Um, I had gone from being an executive sous at the the golf club down there um, in Naples. So, you know, really for me, that transition was a lot to had a lot to do with the fact that um, Eric Repair was the consulting chef there, as well as um, Jen Carroll was the CDC mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and then also, you know, just being able to be at a city property versus a lot of the, you know, the 10 years prior to that, I had spent at, you know, large resorts um, in Florida. So, you know, pr- pretty much a, pr- a pretty drastic change. Um, you know, and 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 I think that I think the coolest thing was being able to obviously um, interact with uh, Eric as well as uh, Eric's team, um, understanding his food philosophy. Um, you know, really being in touch uh, with 
his philosophies on seafood, which was, um, it was kind of interesting because it was really a, a reconnection at that point for me for Tamain too. So Eric uses a lot of seafood out of Brown Trading um, and had developed a relationship with them, which is in Portland, Maine. Um, you know, so that was something not only were we getting uh, local seafood from Samuels and Sons, but we were also, you know, some of the some of the key, um, you know, things like diver scallops, halibut, things like that. Um, you know, Eric had developed a really good relationship with the team at Brown Trading. So being able to have access to that um, was really fun. Um, obviously, uh, the, the, the major difference between La Bernadette and, and Ten Arts was that the menu was more bistro focused, uh, a little less fine dining, um, but still that same attention to detail and that understanding of product was great. The, um, the De Delaware River Valley there just has some amazing cheese producers and farmers and access to the terminal market um is pretty sweet so we the way that the the property was set up there it was in the old it was in an old bank um one of the, one of the original banks uh of philadelphia and the employee entrance when you would go in and out of the employee entrance you would basically end right up on the subway like down in the subway and Philadelphia in Center City, I don't know how much if you've if you've ever spent any time there, but you can essentially go underground almost all the way to the terminal market. So we were able to like grab a cart a few times a week and go over to the terminal market and get, you know, cheese and produce and uh, you know, dairy and flowers and just uh and then and then also the way the terminal market they have a lot of really cool food vendors there too. Um so it was like, uh, you know, the trifecta of being able to get all those different things and then grab, grab a quick lunch as well. Um, but, you know, having, having a consulting chef uh, there, you know, it was, it was an opportunity to really be able to understand the priorities of what Rich Carlton was trying to, to have for their guests and, and the standards that there was in place for a lot of their programming. But then understanding the priorities and focuses from kind of like an independent chef um, who was, you know, putting his name and putting his reputation and brand on the line there. So, um, you know, a lot of times I ended up playing kind of the the go between, <laughs> you know, between both priorities and 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 trying to uh, to navigate that, um, which ended up being you know a really great opportunity for me because as Ritz Carlton started to um, you know, do partnerships with other other chefs. Uh, a lot of times, I was asked to to be part of the opening program to help and go and you know, kind of navigate some of those um, those different things that people had questions on from both lenses. So it was cool. Great experience. I really love yeah. this about you. Um, reading this about you, you took a position at French uh, Coffee in Goleta here in California. Yeah, to to learn. As a chef, to, and to develop from their expert team there, post-harvest production and coffee research and development for their for French, which is a sustainable ag agricultural model that pioneers California-grown coffee. What what did yeah. take this position? Yeah, so um, you know when I was in Philadelphia, um, 
I had an opportunity to um, live right around the corner from the roastery La Colombe, um, kind of when they were just like at their in their infancy, um, and just really became really passionate about uh, the coffees that they were roasting and and the processes that they were that they were showcasing in their roasteries. Um, we we actually featured their coffee at the property, and then put one of their cafes in the bottom of the the residence there as well. Um, so, you know, having a, having a lot of exposure to like the single origin coffees um, was really cool. And to understand um, a lot about, for me, I think th- things like cheese and coffee and wine, um, you know, I, I think it's always really interesting to be able to see how you're taking kind of one ingredient and understanding like the variety and then the processing technique and then the roasting technique or, you know, the aging technique or, or, or those things. And then how you can get so many different kind of final outcomes. Um, I think that that's really cool. And for coffee, it's something that I kind of have gone down the rabbit hole with. Uh, so I roast a lot of my own coffee. Um, I actually have a small uh, nano roastery here in Ventura. Um, called Coffee and Clay, and uh, I had an opportunity to to work up at Fringe, um, helping them with their roasting, um, and and an opportunity to um, you know work on post harvest as well as uh, Jay and the team up there were really interested in seeing from a culinary standpoint what I could do with the Kiskara as well as some of the green coffee from um, culinary applications. So. Um, the cascara, if you're not familiar, is basically coffee grows and it looks like a cherry. Um, and there's a, almost like a tropical fruit that's red that's on the outside of the coffee um, that's called cascara. And then the inside, there's two beans, and then that's actually the coffee. So a lot of times uh, the cascara is discarded um, or not used um, because you know it's it's very it oxidizes really quickly um you know it, it it just becomes kind of like a byproduct of the coffee industry um but i as jay and the team at fringe are continuing to develop uh, coffee growing in california um you know they're looking to be able to utilize the land the best they can and, and the full use of the product so they've been you know um you know, just trying to get the most out of out of every aspect of 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 the harvest. So, yeah, it was so, pretty cool. I did some macar I did some different macaroons with the cascara. I made some kombuchas. I did. Uh, I made some coffee flour. Um, made some different coffee. Uh, some coffee pastries with the green coffee. We did a few coffee extracts. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was pretty interesting just to be able to to have the opportunity to work through every aspect from you know seeing them germinate the seed to seeing them plant the trees to seeing the coffee uh you know being harvested working through the processing the storage and then the roasting um it it was pretty cool it's it's so interesting and it's so uh, i think it's so fascinating that you know when you're a chef when you're a, a professional cook you are you know, you're, you spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I mean, long, long hours developing your menus and training your staff and then the different services that are, that are there. But, you know, um, you're, 
also out there, Chef, you're, you're foraging for products, you're meeting farmers, you're learning how to grow coffee, how to, you know, all the, all the different techniques for, that, for ingredients that come across your, your menu there. And yeah. uh, wait to taste your food. It just sounds like you're really, you're really involved and um, really hands on and, and, and learning constantly and bringing, you know, flavors to life, bringing ingredients to life. So I, I, this is a Valentine's day menu. It looks incredible. We're going to talk about when we come back on the other side of the break. Um, and we're going to find out how you landed in Santa Barbara, at the Kempton yeah, uh, Canary sure. Hotel at Finch and Fork. Uh, again, there is a uh, fork course wild about you Valentine's day in the uh, Canary, the Finch and Fork at the Canary Hotel in downtown Santa Barbara. Executive chef Nathan Lingle, who is with us today, his menu will feature four courses, an amuse bouche, and a fawn farewell. And again, I'm still curious about the fawn farewell. <laughs> Finch and Fork's wine program showcases the best of the Central Coast with a selection of over 100 wines and local beer, along with a cocktail menu to complement the dishes. Uh, make your reservations now. Here's the phone number, 805-884-0300 for Valentine's Day at finchandforkrestaurant.com. We'll be right back with executive chef Nathan Lingle, our special guest today. Welcome, Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio, the Jeremiah Show, airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday. Core Radio dot rocks. And we're back with the Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. Today, we are making you hungry with Executive Chef at Finch and Fork at the Kempton Canary Hotel, Chef Nathan Lingle, Executive Chef. Uh, how did you land? We, we, we followed you across the country. We followed you to Mexico. We followed you to all over the place, Philadelphia. Now you're here in Santa Barbara. What led you here, Chef? Yeah, you know, I think um, I had been, excuse me, I'd been living down in San Diego for about five years um really awesome part of the country uh again a lot of opportunity to be in touch with the food and product down there 
and you know I was at a place in my life where I really wanted to be a homeowner. Um, so I was I was in search of an area that I could be uh, in coastal California and um, you know have access to all the great things about California, but be able to own a home. Um, and and I spent uh, a number of months kind of cruising up and down the coast um, in my VW van, van surfing and uh, and checking out areas. And you know I found uh, I found uh, Ventura, um, and you know was was able to to purchase a home here in Ventura where I can have a small little urban farm in our, in our house. And uh, obviously, you know it's been a win win when you look at. Uh, access again to like the mountains and the front range and uh, all that other great farms and you know high desert and then coastal coastal California and then you know being 20 minutes away from Santa Barbara and an hour and 15 minutes from Los Angeles is just you know it's perfect position yeah oh yeah and I like like the comparisons you drew between your home state of Maine where you grew up where you had the sea and the mountains and the lakes and the streams and and Santa Barbara has that. I guess the only difference is we don't yeah. get the heavy snow that you get there. Uh, a lot of emotions that you feel when you fall in love, since we're talking about Valentine's Day, right? A lot of those emotions that you feel when you fall in love are, about, are the same, really, mm-hmm. that people have with really great food. Um, and many sure. chefs talk about how good food and cooking good food for someone requires love you know, as they cook in the kitchen. Um, do you agree? And, and what comparisons would you make between love and food? Yeah, you know, I think that, um, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great kind of tie in, I think, but, um, yeah, I think there's, I think there's obviously those moments where you're like super excited and, and everything is great. And then, uh, in, in both love and food. Um, but I also think there's like a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, communication is key. Uh, making sure you have the right ingredients, the right person, uh, right, is is also key. Um, you know, and then I think that I think that there's a lot about um, going the extra mile and and understanding, you know, both from a relationship standpoint or from like a cooking standpoint of of understanding, you know, what things need to be the best that they can be. Right. And, and sometimes it's, uh, it's having the restraint or or it's having, um, the ability to, to not over manipulate stuff or not, you know, obviously like from a relationship standpoint, you're, you're trying not to change somebody, right. You're trying to like uh, understand the things that make them tick. And I think that it's similar with food, right. You know, it's, it's understanding how ingredients can change or, or, or why ingredients are the way that they are. And then, you know, helping to combine them together to make something great that people are, people are stoked on. Um, you know, you'll see on the Valentine's day menu and, and one of the items we have, um, on the menu right now is, uh, a Ridgeback shrimp, which is just this, a really amazing, uh, shrimp that's available that kind of, uh, feeds the whole channel islands. Um, you know, the whole marine life in the channel islands there. Um, you know, and I wake up and I go down to the docks on Saturday and pick those up at 5.45 in the morning, you know, before the sun even comes up. And, you know, I, I meet with a fisherman on there um, and buy the shrimp and then, you know, come home and, and, and get ready for the day. But a lot of times, you know, the night before I'm finishing it, 
you know, 10 45, 11 o'clock at night, and then driving back home. So there's that commitment too, you know, there's a commitment to like finding good food and sourcing it and, and kind of going the extra mile. Um, you know, I think a lot of times that can be like glamorized, <laughs> but sometimes it's not so glamorous, you know, you're just tired and cold. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's that commitment. Hey, it's, hey, it is a relationship, right? It's a relationship you have yeah, with yeah. your staff, your guests. Tell us about the Valentine's Day special. We have about four minutes left and I, I, yeah, I want you to make me hungry because as soon as we get off yeah. here, lunch, <laughs> I hope you're open for lunch. Yeah. Some, some really... You know, some, so we looked at some, we looked at trying to incorporate, you know, some wild ingredients that are available. Um, you know, we've had the, a great winter so far with like all this rain. Um, so we've really been fortunate to be able to see things like chanterelle mushrooms coming out of gaviota. Um, you know, the, a lot of the, a lot of the seaweeds and stuff like that have actually been disrupted from like these king tides. Um, but then we're also seeing some new growth seaweeds along the coast, uh, which has been really exciting, um, because of all the rain, uh, a lot of times people won't, people don't realize, but you'll start seeing all of these yellow flowers kind of pop along all the hillsides in the central coast. And that's all like a wild mustard. Um, so seeing those wild mustards are, are, are really great. And then you have all the purple sagebush, uh, and, and the sagebush, the bay laurel, um, the spruce right now is starting to, to form that little kind of edible, um, bud on there, which is, which is really a, a great, um, source of vitamin C, but also just has like a really intense piney flavor, um, which we've incorporated into the menu for dessert. Um, yeah, I think some of my favorites are definitely, you know, the, the chanterelle mushroom tart, uh, we're using the bellwether, uh, cheap smoke ricotta in that. And then some wild greens and some some uh, dried apricots um, from from one of the farmers here. Uh, let's see what else. The coastal whitefish ceviche with the prickle, prickly pear aquachoe. So again, this is a kind of time of year where if you're driving along like the farms or up in the hills, you'll see all the cactuses have like the cactus pear on there. Um, which can be a horrible nightmare to process, but the, the inside fruit is just like amazing. Um, yeah, it's on the name Mooney pear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm really excited actually too, about the rabbit dish. Uh, I've got, I got some dry aged or I got some, uh, carrots from the farmer's market and I'm, I'm trying out a new process where I'm Koji, uh, fermenting them. So I put a Koji bacteria on them. And then um, kind of going through a dry edge process for them. Um, you know, it really, it kind of, it creates the outside to get almost like a sausage casing mm. texture on the outside where you're getting like that snap. Um, but then the, the inside is still firm, but is a little softer just because if you think of kind of how a carrot would get, like if you left it in your refrigerator for a long time, it just kind of gets like a little limp. Um, so it kind of gets that texture, but really what the koji does is the koji really concentrates some of that earthy sweetness. Um, so really just intensifies that similar, similar to like when you have like a dry age, uh, steak, um, you know, you're just concentrating that flavor and kind of making it so much more succulent. Um, so I'm really stoked on that. And then again, with all the rain, we've seen uh, a ton of nettles, uh, the stinging nettles out there. So we're going to be blanching those and making uh, a really tasty chimichurri to go with that dish. 
Yum. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you make the menu early before Valentine's? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> on farewell. I just love that. What is the fun? I've, I've teased it now. You've got to, can you tell us it's the dessert? I would imagine coffee, dessert. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, that this comes from, you know, when you spend, uh, I spent uh, about 14 years with Ritz Carlton and, um, you know, you just kind of a lot of the verbiage and, and, and the way that things are done there um, become part of, you know, your life and, and the way that you communicate and, and, and say things. And the fine farewell was always kind of a part of the three steps of service for Ritz Carlton, you know, uh, a warm welcome. And then, you know, obviously inter- interacting with somebody, but making sure that you're, you know, bidding people a fine farewell and you're saying thank you for, for being there. Thank you for coming in. So. Our fond farewell is going to be uh, a lavender shortbread cookie. Um, and essentially, it's, it, you know, it's a kind of a thing that we're presenting with the, the bill, the check, just saying, hey, we appreciate you coming in. Like, here's one little last bite as you're, as you're walking out the door or maybe you're folding it up and, you know, bringing it with you and, and having it in, in the Uber or in the morning the next day with your coffee. And it's just a, an opportunity to kind of reconnect you with yeah. the great experience that you had at Finch and Fork. Love it. Uh, we're going to yeah. have to have a fond farewell here, unfortunately, Chef. And, uh, <laughs> have a no worries. <laughs> yeah. Let you go get outside and sun, enjoy your garden and your life there in Ventura. Um, Executive hey, Chef Nathan Link, uh, Finch and Fork at the Kempton Canary Hotel. They've got a great, he's designed and created a great four-course menu for Valentine's Day. He calls it Wild About You. Um, check it out. I'm going to give you the, the address here at Finch and Fork at the Canary Hotel. It's on 31 West Carrillo Street in Santa Barbara, California. You can check out more and the menu at finchandforkrestaurant.com. I definitely make your reservation now, 805-884-0300. Chef, we're going to come right back and say goodbye with our fun farewell. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show with Executive Chef 
Chef Nathan Lingle this entire hour. Really learned a lot and uh, really got enjoyed getting to know you, Chef. That uh, your menu for Valentine's Day sounds great. I'd love to just pop in at any old time and sit at the bar there and have a nice meal. Um, I encourage you to do so as well. Come and join me, anybody out there listening. Let's have a let's have one of uh, Chef Nathan's meals at the bar or at the nice little booth there at the Kempton Canary Hotel, Chef. What does executive chef cook for his girlfriend for Valentine's Day? <laughs> Ooh, I don't, you know, probably something for breakfast because uh, outside of that, I'll be at, at the hotel the rest of the day. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Holly is uh, Holly is really into pizzas. So, uh, um, yeah, we use a lot of like the, the grains that are coming and milled from Roan Mills um, that are heritage grains that are grown up and Tachipi. Um, so we've been playing around with kind of like a sourdough pizza uh, crust and then, you know, just kind of top it with whatever we find at the market and some great Central Coast wine. That's probably, That's you know, our go to meal once or twice, once or twice a month. Um, it's fun to kind of make the pizza dough together and then top it and just, you know, be, uh, you know, be able to interact and kind of enjoy time in the kitchen together. Well, it sounds like a perfect Valentine's Day after Valentine's Day for a chef. A yeah. chef like you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's say goodbye for now. Uh, I'll see you down at the restaurant, hopefully soon. And yep. again, uh, any, anybody you want to thank there at, at uh, your kitchen or Holly, you've already kind of thanked her a little bit. Yeah. Pizza. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, uh, I think it's just important to, for a lot of people to understand you know a lot of times it's like the chef is always the person that's getting a lot of the credit for for what's happening but um you know it's really the team of people uh in the kitchen and in the front of the house and um you know helping to receive food and washing dishes and doing all that that really make the program what it can be um one person obviously cannot do it all by themselves so really really stoked that i have such a that the hotel has such a great team in both the front and back of the house because um you know without them it's just uh it's just some menus on a piece of paper um so yeah said thank you chef for your time we appreciate you on your day off executive chef and lingo finch and fork at the kimpton canary hotel go down and see him and everybody have a great week communicate but listen more and evolve we'll see you next week
Hi, this is comedian Maz Chobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, your loved homes. I love you. I love you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.